0: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to FSU Coach Live, another episode and another special guest. I'm delighted to have Dawn Easley here with me from Campbell University. She is the head coach of women's lacrosse. Dawn, thank you so much for joining me. If you would mind, just share a little bit about your background and how you got into this position.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, I am am Dawn Easley. I've been at Campbell for 10 years now. I got into coaching um, pretty much Right after college, I was in in college playing uh, lacrosse at a small school called Pfeiffer University, and I knew I wanted to get into college coaching. However, I took a a step from um, the United States and moved over to England, and I started coaching there for a year at a boarding school. I loved it, missed home, came back. My college coach hired me on as an assistant, so I worked for him for two years, two wonderful years, and uh, learned a lot while I was back at Pfeiffer and then, um, he left and then they hired me as the head coach at a, I think I was 25 when I got hired wow. as a head coach. Um, maybe may have been 24, but yeah, not very much experience and, um, had wonderful mentors at Pfeiffer who, um, helped me out a lot. So I was there for eight years and then, um, Campbell came and started a program here and I've been here ever since and absolutely love it. Couldn't imagine doing anything else.
0: Yeah, I'm curious. Coming in as a, a brand new coach like that, you've been in a you've been an assistant for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden, you're in charge. And and uh, I was actually speaking to, to a friend of mine who became a head coach recently, and asked him how it was going. He said, "Well, I love the coaching, but the meetings. What was it like transitioning from? Yeah, okay, you know the players, you know the system, you know the school." But as an assistant, maybe you've been sheltered from a lot of things that the head coach has to do. How did that transition go? It was tough. Um,
1: I had Thankfully for me, I had really great mentors at Pfeiffer when I was there. And I had learned a lot from my previous head coach. I think um, one of the things that I, you can call it a, a good thing or a bad thing, but one of the things that I did really well was when I made a decision, I stuck to it. And I owned it and it it was my decision, good or bad, ugly or or not, I'd stuck to it. And I think that helped critique the way I was able to make decisions in the future. Learning how to have thick skin and um, move forward regardless of the outcome, I think, was something that I had to learn very quickly. Um, And I I had a boss one time tell me that you're never ready to be a head coach, regardless if you have Mm -hmm. two years of being an assistant or 20 years of being an assistant. You're never ready to be a head coach because learning how to make decisions and um, own your decisions is something that takes time and experience um, I think the benefit I have was just being able to do it at a young age and learning learning quickly what that feels like
0: yeah were there any particular challenges as as becoming head coach that that maybe you didn't anticipate or or somebody needs to be aware of when they do become a head coach
1: oh gosh there's There's so many, I think. And I think it differs on the age of the person. I think one of the the things that I struggled with early on in my career was the age difference and trying to figure out how do I, um, how do I take this program as a 25 year old and, and, uh, and use my life experiences, my minimal life experiences to challenge these 18 to 22 year olds, you know, with some of the, some of the girls that I was coaching, um, they they were incoming freshmen the year that I left. And so I never played with them, but there was definitely a lot of playing with uh, common girls. So that was a really hard thing for me to to get over early on in my career. But, um, you know, I, I think the struggles were just that age difference early on in, in my career.
0: How do you deal with that? I mean, literally you, you have the same interests, you, you probably know the same people you probably want to hang out in the same places. How, how did you separate your, almost your personal life from your professional life so that the athletes knew that you were head coach and you made the hard decisions?
1: Um, I am a firm believer in that, uh, you are the average of the five people that you surround yourself with. And I was determined to be a successful head coach. And so I situated myself around people who I wanted to be like, who people who would hold me accountable and challenge me in my professional and personal life, one of them being my husband now and also administrators and other coaches who were who were in it and um, being driven to be more like those people. And um, I think helped guide me to make the right decisions along the journey.
0: So you became head coach uh you were there several years one of the one of the interesting things i always find is is when coaches choose to leave a program Mm -hmm. and when coaches decide to move on because there is that that sense perhaps of, of letting people down by moving on right you've maybe recruited athletes you've spent years with them and then it's okay i'm moving on sorry by How do you, how do you, how do you make that decision? Because it's hard. I mean, even when I moved to Florida state, I was leaving students behind and that was hard because they had signed up for my program. How, how do you, how do you make that decision or what, what allowed you to make that decision?
1: Well, isn't that the great thing about the profession that we're in is that your heart is being tugged in one direction because you've built those relationships with those students and they've built you up, you've built them up. And um, it's a blessing to have those relationships that it is It is hard to leave when it's time. I think it comes, for me, it came down to um, prayer and, and, uh, and just the tug of my heart, knowing that it was time to take a step in the next direction for both personally and professionally. Um, but what a great thing to have those relationships with your players, knowing that your relationships don't stop just because you're no longer their coach, but um, you're always going to be there for each other. And I think um, while it, it was an incredibly hard thing to do is is leave, not just not just my players who I'd recruited and coached and been successful with, but my alma mater. Um, that was that was hard. But um, those relationships never go away. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Mm.
0: Now, you've been at Campbell for a number of years now, and I think there's a danger sometimes for coaches to become complacent or comfortable. And this is my job my, maybe I have my job security, we're doing okay, or we're doing well. What allows you to stay maybe motivated, relevant, driven when you've been in a place for, for a number of years?
1: Uh, It's a a great question. And coaching is a roller coaster. And I I tell my players all the time, it's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. Um, But I'm not just telling my players, I'm telling myself that. Uh, because it really is an emotional roller coaster, professionally, emotionally, all all of it. And, um, you know, early on when I got to take this job at Campbell, it was the move was about taking on a new challenge. It was about bringing my family to a new atmosphere. It, It was it was a lot of all of those things. And I think one of the disadvantages I was I've always been at early on in my career is that I was an assistant coach for for two years. And so I didn't have that that really great foundation of some of the things that, um, that I needed. However, I think I've also done a really good job of hiring assistant coaches who have uh, challenged me in my own ways and, and both you know, on the field and, and relationally and in um, all the different aspects of my job. And I've always been willing to learn from their experiences because I do want to be a better head coach for both my assistants and for, um, and for my players. And so being open to new and relevant information has always been something that I've always been driven to understand and learn more about. Um, you know, whether it be the X's and O's or, or how we analyze our players or just all of those things. And um, hiring good assistants has helped motivate me to be a better head coach, but it's also helped me to, um, it's also helped me to, um, sorry, my, My daughter just walked into the office, one of the challenges of being a coach is being a mom and having having interruptions. Um, But yeah, just making sure that I surround myself around people who who can help me be better.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about something you've been doing here in a little bit, but we do have a question in the chat box from Belford. Uh, Leading your team to an academic honor squad isn't a small feat. How much of your success was based on the type of student athletes you recruit versus the way you support them in their academic endeavors? what advice would you give programs that would like to achieve similar academic and honors when winning seems to be the only metric that coaches are judged upon
1: that's a great question um for us it's always been that the chances of you going to play professional lacrosse is pretty minimal like you're you're not you, early on in my career, you weren't going to play pro lacrosse. Now, nowadays, there is a chance that you can go do that. And so the number one thing that we had to sell kids on was making sure that they understood that academics is your number one priority. You are a student athlete first. And thankfully for us, I think we've always been able to find kids who have been driven academically, who who have um, a purpose to their academic career, You know, whatever it is they set their mind on, whether it be trust and wealth management or um, PT school or Uh, Med school or law school. And so being able to hone in on that and showing them what their opportunities are at Campbell, um, I think helps. But it also helps when your whole team buys into that. So, for example, like we don't recruit only kids with a 4.0, like we recruit all types of kids academically. But when they're taking each other to the library and they are tutoring each other on the road. Um, and they're getting those same professors in their, their classes and um, they can help each other out. I think that's always been able to be very helpful. Um, it hasn't always been easy. But to give you an example, my goal as a head coach is to have a three, four every year as, as a team. And mm-hmm. I went back to our captains and our leaders last year and I said, this is my goal. My goal is to have a three, four. What's your goal? And they said, well, we think we can do better than that. And so they had a goal of a three, five. Um, and so now that accountability piece wasn't about what I wanted. It was about what they wanted to do for each other. And so they started talking about it. They started setting those goals and those expectations. And we ended up finishing with a 3509, um, which I think is pretty incredible. So that that ownership from the students, from my players, I think, helped contribute to that
0: success. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We're going to uh, watch a quick commercial. We'll be back as we talk with Don Easley. The mission of FSU coach is to prepare and equip the next generation of coaches and sports professionals with best practices and current research to enable them to pursue excellence. We have two academic programs, the online graduate certificate, which is four classes and also a 10-class master's in athletic coaching. Our graduate certificate and master's program can be started at any time, either the the summer, fall, or spring. All of our classes have the word coach or coaching in them, and they're taught by coaches for coaches.
1: The types of classes that we offer focus on the athlete as a whole person. We focus on the theory and practice, the research, the helping skills, uh, even some of the mental performance behind you know, what it goes into being an athlete. I came to FSU Coach because I truly believed in the mission and the purpose of the program. I think I have my dream job being a head coach at Florida State, but I know there's always more ways that I can help my athletes and better prepare as a coach, so I thought joining this master's program would help me um, learn different ways to uh, attack my job. If you're interested in going into coaching or joining the FSU Coach program, I would just say don't even think about it and do it.
0: Okay, we're back live, everybody, talking with Don Easley. Don, I'm going to get to some of the the methods that you use to improve performance with your team, but first, I just want to finish talking about your, your coaching experiences. What would you say, as a collegiate coach, is the hardest part of your job?
1: Managing expectations, developing relationships with people of various personalities, relating to them and um, where they're at. Time management, stress management, um, balancing personal life and professional life with players who are part of my everyday life um, and bringing my family into it, ma- ma- managing my own family's time and my professional time. <laughs> they're, they're, when I start talking about it, there isn't anything easy about it. <laughs> it's, it's all pretty difficult.
0: Yeah. I said, what's the hardest? And you started, you gave me like seven. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's,
1: it's not easy at all. It, it's, there are some days that it's easier than others. It's the most rewarding profession I think I could ever imagine for myself. It's very much a family experience for me. Um, I, you know, I'm married, I have three kids and um, you know, my players, I, one of my players is babysitting my daughter right now and, um, so, I mean, it, it's a family in this atmosphere. And so being able to have incorporate my family with my my players makes it more rewarding. It doesn't make it easier, but it makes it more rewarding.
0: And, and at Campbell, what is the what is the pressure to to be successful on the field for you?
1: I think that, that depends on who you ask. I mean, we got into coaching for a reason. It's because we're competitive and we want right. to win. Um, And so I don't think any coach you ever talked to was ever gonna say that the pressure comes more from outside than it does internally. I think we all have this internal innate response to wanna win, win games, win, you know, whatever, win championships and um, that there's a drive there. That that drive is every day that feeds our willingness to get out of bed and go. Um, But it's the relationships that fill that void while you're trying to get there, and um, and and that's why I get up every morning.
0: You said, uh, and I wrote them down. Hardest parts of your job: managing expectations, managing relationships, time management, stress management, balancing personal and professional life. How do you do that?
1: <laughs> support, a lot of support. Finding your your people. Um, for me, it's it, I. It, came back to when I first got into coaching. I am the average of the five people I spend the most time with. And if I am surrounding myself by my players all the time, I'm I'm probably not going to succeed. But mm. surrounding myself with the people who I can go to, my people when when it gets hard, who can build me up and who can help me out when I need it, that that is how I get through it, how I attack my job every day is is finding my people who I I can go to when I when I need it the most, who who come to me when they realize that I need something. Mm.
0: Yeah. One of the things we talk about in in our philosophy and ethics class and even in, in stress and burnout is incorporating the family. And you just alluded it to, to it. And we have a question from Tessa who says, what does incorporating your family look like? Do your children come to practice?
1: Yeah. Um, having my family there all the time is the most important thing to me because it matters. Um, I When I first got into coaching, I got married very young and we had our first child and um, we did, we, we've never really had a lot of family around the area to help us out. And so my son came to a lot of the practices and um, now my two older ones are in school. And so they get off the school bus and they come to my practices at right after school and they get to be around my players, my, my players babysit. Uh, fortunately for us, my parents just moved into town. So now they watch our littlest and um, she's been at Lyft all week. Um, she comes, it's not every day. It's just when, you know, it, it's works out that way. Um, but we, uh, I have my players over at my house on a, at least one to two times a semester where we cook and have all our, all our players. We have all of, anybody who's associated with our program. They come to dinner and, and we just have them at our house and host them because family is the most important thing to me. And when my players look back on their experience, I don't want them to just think about, you know, what we did on the field and how coach yelled at them because they weren't sprinting hard enough. I want them to remember that I cared enough about them to incorporate them into my personal life, but also because I, I care about them enough to yell at them. Um, and so in order for my players to see the softer side, they have to see me around my children and they need to see me around my husband and see what that, that family dynamic looks like.
0: I want to change tack a little bit, because one of the reasons I, I wanted you on the show is to talk about some of the the physiological uh, training aspects that you do with your players. And can you talk a little bit about how you, you monitor your players to ensure that they are physically their best when they're performing?
1: Yeah. So I talked a little bit earlier about how I've brought on assistant coaches who have challenged me professionally. And one of them, um, I had an assistant coach named Taylor Robinson Um, and she was with me for quite a few years and, um, she was really close with someone that we work with now. Her name is Jennifer, Dr. Jennifer Bunn, who works at Sam Houston state. And they brought to me this idea of athlete monitoring, GPS and wellness. And, um, and I was a business major. And, uh, so science is not my background and it took, um, a lot of time and effort, but, um, I really started buying into the idea of monitoring our athletes from, uh, a both objective level and subjective level. So we started putting, we started out putting um, heart rate monitors on our players and we did that for a year. And, and we, what we realized was that was not efficient and we, it, the data was not really helping us, but it gave us enough information to know that we wanted to dig deeper. So we started going with a different system and now we use a Vx sports system and all of our, most of our athletes are monitored in terms of GPS and we use that data from um, uh, uh, when they do conditioning and when they do practices, we manage the, we look at the data that they're uh, giving us from the GPS. We use that to train. We use that to make decisions. Um, we use that to understand our athletes better. But we also use wellness data so that subjective data helps us understand who they are as an athlete and what, um, how they're feeling, what their opinions are. What's their RPE for that practice? What's their RPE for the, for the lift? And when we can marry those those two pieces, that wellness data and the GPS data, we get a better idea of what, who they are as an athlete and how they're training. So, you know, as coaches, for example, let's say you go out to practice and, and while they're stretching, you say, Hey, uh, Tim, how are you feeling today? And usually the response we get is I'm good. And then that's it. Mm-hmm. And you don't really dive deeper into that. And what the wellness data does is, is um, every morning they answer questions. And if when we log in, we can see. How are they feeling? How, how are their muscles feeling? How sore are they? How how much sleep did they get last night? Um, how was your appetite yesterday? Uh, what's your energy level like? And it, it really just paints this picture of who they are as a person and what they're going through. When you talk about mental health, I mean, that is just the first snapshot and the first clue into how they're feeling on a day to day basis. And so when we start looking at their seven day progression, we start seeing um you know, the, we start tracking where they are throughout the week, whether it be they they're really loaded down with with classwork, with with tests, with finals, or that we just had a really hard practice that week. And we wanted to see how their body went with that. Are you getting enough sleep so that you can be successful on the field and, and be successful in the classroom? And the GPS data tells us how are we training you? Are we over training you? Or are we under training you? Are we getting are we training you to be at game speed for for our season? Um, and to be honest with you, being able to track and understand with, with the, um, with the wellness scores and and with the GPS data has completely changed my mindset as a coach. It has completely transformed the way I view training our athletes. And then once I understood that, once I understood the benefits of it, now I understand it enough to educate my own players so that now they can look at the data and understand, okay, that. I understand that coach is trying to get us to game speed. I understand that she's trying to get us to be able to play, play a full game. She's not just using it. I, I never use it to hold it against them. I don't use it for, for starting purposes. I, I don't talk about data with other uh, one player with another player. We use it for the purpose of um, smart training. And when the girls become educated with it, now they start buying into how hard they're working at practice because now they understand that, the um, high intensity distance that they're running is really so that they can play at that high intensity in games, not just because coaches yelling at me to run harder.
0: You you said we a few times, and I'm curious who who oversees this? Because if I put myself in a position of maybe a small college or or even a high school, my first thought was that's a lot of data I have to to collect. And analyze. So, do you have somebody there who who actually does this?
1: Um, yeah. So, like I said before, we started working with uh, Dr. Jennifer Bunn, who's now at Sam Houston State. She was here at Campbell, and her background is in um, in athlete monitoring. Mm-hmm. And so, she really drove home this idea to me. But I'm I'm a coach. I don't I don't understand what this stuff is. You, you throw numbers at me, and I don't really know how to analyze it. I don't know how to make decisions based on it. And so what she challenged me was to um, let's work together. Let's collaborate with exercise science department and Campbell lacrosse. And so what she did was she was able to give us interns who are undergraduate students Mm -hmm. and they do the kind of day-to-day work. Um, They, they, um, they give the, they hand out the the monitoring systems and then they collect them and then they upload the, the information to our database. And then, Dr. Bunn takes that database and she spits out all the information that we need to know as a, a lacrosse staff. And what they get in return is research information. And so mm-hmm. they've been able to spit out papers that have been published on women's lacrosse, which in my opinion, there's not enough of it out there. And so if you look at any research on women's lacrosse, you're going to see Campbell lacrosse all over the place because we are we are spitting papers out so fast or so well and so much. And so it's kind of, it, we work together with each other to be able to do these things um, and so when I talk about our team, we have a team of um, interns who do the grunt work. And then we also work with our exercise science department and we work with our PT school to um, to un- analyze the information better. And then my assistant coaches also um, look at the information on a daily basis as well.
0: You, you mentioned just in in that conversation that, that women's lacrosse doesn't get as much publicity as maybe it should. I think that's that's general across many sports, particularly women's sports. How or what are you doing to try to increase that visibility of not just your sport, but also at Campbell University, so that, so that you have relevance in the athletic department?
1: Um, so if you had asked me this question about five years ago, I would have said absolutely nothing. <laughs> And I, you know, I'm I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, and I'm I'm not really that active. But what I did notice is that there were programs who who were really using social media as a platform, and um, to increase the visibility of their sport or or, um, or their their programs. And I thought, why aren't we doing that? But at the same time, I also know that I'm not good at it, nor do I have the time for it. And so I hired an assistant. Lauren is with me now. Um, to increase that visibility. And she's done an incredible job in the last year of increasing that visibility. So we use all the things that we're doing, push it towards social media so that we can increase the visibility for women's Across and, um, and also the, the stuff that we're doing and for our program and, um, and what I noticed is that in the last two recruiting cycles, we get we get a lot of emails from recruits. But a lot of the emails that, we're co- that are coming through, the kids are saying, I saw you guys on social media. I mm-hmm. see that you guys are doing and it. I really like the stuff that you're putting on there. And so our visibility with recruits has is, is been a whole lot better. Um, I, I find it very ironic that that's the messaging that we're getting across is that our program looks fun or um, they really like the things that we're doing because I think social one of the things I don't like about social media is it's it's a platform for people to put all the good things that are going on. And I, I'm not really I don't really like that. I, I think that you have to take the good with the bad. Um, and so I'm personally right now trying to how do I sort through how do we put on social media to be attractive to recruits, but at the same time, understand that this is a job and you have to work at it and anything worth pursuing is, is not going to be easy or fun all the time. And um, and so having said that, Lauren has done a really great job with our social media platform and increasing that visibility for our program and, and for the sport of lacrosse. And using our, our VX system, our, our athlete monitoring, we've we've tried to also push that towards social media so that we can see that there is good data out there on women's lacrosse. How can we use it to benefit all programs?
0: I, I would be very interested to know how you show the realities of your program without presenting it as just this vacation resort, if you come here and uh, we're just going to have a great time and, and it's, it's all going to be amazing. How do you show the the realities of it, which is hard training and difficult, difficult losses and personal challenges. How do, how do you do that on social media?
1: I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I don't have an answer for you, but I can promise you this. I can, I can tell you that it is something that I think is very important. Yeah, because, I agree. because, you know, every a lot of people are talking about mental health right now and, 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 and it is a big deal. It is something that needs to be addressed. But if we continue to only push things that are good and easy, then I think it will continue to, to put us down this road of 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 burnout and and um, and problems. And I think my first and foremost responsibility is my team and making sure that they understand how to manage those things when I'm with them, not just on social media. But it is also something that I talk about with our recruits when they come onto campus is is understanding, I I appreciate that you like our social media, but I promise you, you're only seeing a split second of of something that you enjoy. And I, I think part of learning how to understand that it's gonna be hard is understanding how to love the people you're with when it is hard. And, um, you know, there are, I, I, I have to do 90% of my job in order to, in order to have fun doing the 10%. And that 10% for me is being with my players every day. And I have to do all the other stuff that I don't really want to do so that I can do that, that, that 10%. But as long as I'm going to be out there with my players, if I'm going to have to yell at them and get onto them about something, I want to enjoy it while I'm doing it. And, you know, for me, it's the relationship piece and, 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 if my players know that I love them and I care about them when I'm screaming at them, yelling at them, telling them they can do better, then we're loving every moment of it because we know that we're in it together.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Just in in closing, one of the things I I normally do is just ask coaches to, to maybe share advice for other coaches that they may, they may want to pass on for those maybe coming up through the coaching ranks or, or somebody who's, maybe looking at coaching high school and wants to coaching college what would you like to share to them that you've learned along the way
1: what a loaded question
0: yeah right that's why I wait, that's why I wait till the last question
1: oh gosh there's so much i think the first and foremost is know your why um, my why of my coaching has changed so much in the last 17 18 years and on those tough days, knowing your why and why you're in that position will carry you through. Um, and I, I reevaluate what my why is every single year. And I ask my players, "What's your why? Why are you here? Why do you want to play college across? Why do you want to be here? Why do?" You? Because a lot of a lot of the time, you know, when it's getting really, really hard, your why is what's going to carry you through those that extra sprint that you want don't want to do that um, that extra drill that you're really bad at that that you you don't want to have to do again. And so, um, that, that why carries me through almost every single day. And, and then the second part is putting people around you that, that know and understand your purpose and are willing to support you no matter what you need, whether it be, you need a height girl in that moment, or you need someone to just babysit your kids for a couple of hours, or you need someone to just vent to, or you need advice from, um, you've got to find your people. So I think, if I could narrow it down to two things, that would probably
0: be it. That's great. Thank you. And if anybody is interested in reaching out after listening to the podcast, watching this show, what's a good way for them to reach you if they have questions?
1: Um, easily at Campbell.edu. E-A-S-L-E-Y at Campbell.edu.
0: And it's up there on the screen for those of you watching online. Uh, well, Don, thank you so much for, for sharing a little bit of your, your knowledge and experience. Really do appreciate it just a reminder, everybody, we try to interview somebody once every once or two weeks on this show. So be sure to subscribe wherever you're watching and listening from. And oh, we got one final comment. Thank you, Belford. It says great interview. Thank you for the information. Uh, that's a wrap for us. So we'll see you uh, next week. Uh, thanks again, Don.
1: Thank you.